Okay. All right. So we are on our fourth class. We're on chapter four. Um, it's pretty exciting. And I will just remind you that all questions are welcome. And we usually have time at the end to do questions, but also if there's a question in the middle that you want to ask, um, just go ahead and do that. And usually um, I can see like a chat come up on the side and I can answer it as soon as I can. Um, okay. Let's get going here. It's a little distracting when I have to admit people, but okay, we're good. Okay, so quick review. So we can all, you know, regroup and be on the same page. Remember, we are still in our informational chapters. We spoke about the fact that the first, about first eight chapters are informational, even though the Tanya is an instructional book, right? It's not an encyclopedia. It's not here just so we can research. It's instructional. It's practical. It's giving us tools to live our life. But before we can actually implement any tools or change the way we do things, we need to know what we're talking about, right? So it's like a recipe. So we right now we're learning the ingredients to the recipe. So in chapter four, we are still in this informational section, right? It's getting, we're learning a whole new lexicon, right? A whole new way of understanding the world, our bodies, our souls, terminologies, you know, this is what we're doing in the first eight chapters. So don't get impatient when you're um, feeling like, okay, when are we actually going to do something? We're getting there. We also, um, what's it called? We also are fitting in some practical stuff in, in these chapters as well, which reminds me, guys, don't think I forgot about our challenge. Did anyone participate in our challenge? Remember what our challenge was? We were going to try to think about Hashem enough to create some sort of emotion. So when a challenge arises in our day, our brain is already somewhat conditioned to think about moving through our challenge with a godly motivation. You can unmute yourself or put in the chat box. Did anyone try it, experience it? Was it a fail? Was it a success? I wouldn't call anything a fail because everything is teaches us something, right? But nobody, come on. Okay, you wanna hear my experience? I'll tell you what happened with me. Number one, I didn't do it every day because there were some days that I woke up that I was so already in a bad place that there wasn't even like, on the radar. So that was a good lesson for me. Like, hold on a second. Like, how am I waking up already? So not in tune, right? With my godly, you know, inspiration, like just not there. Some days I was able to do it. And um, I, I do want to say that when I was able to even, you know, when I did it, when I said Modani, like I just took a couple extra seconds or minutes. Like I didn't, you know, it wasn't a separate thing for me. It was just like, I'm going to actually like pay attention when I say Modani. So I would call my experience a learning experience. It, I wouldn't say like, oh my gosh, I had this like revolutionary, like here I am, like nothing phased me because I feel godly. Like that's not what happened. But I did feel like when I, what the lesson was to me was when I did put the effort in, I saw a difference. I can't blame 
my um, my demeanor on not being godly or not managing on anything except for the fact that I actually didn't put in the effort to do it differently. It was just easier to be in the place I was in instead of put the effort in to do, to change anything. So that was my experience. Let's see. Um, I would say I was successful two of the days. I was very affected by the passing of Yodi Dukes. Yes, that was definitely something that I think really, really, really was difficult for um, everyone to kind of process and manage. And I don't think we ever will, right? I think that that's something that we live, we're gonna to have to live through and live life and how much more so the, their family and figuring out how to support them on that. But, um, okay, we have a couple more. We did it too, it was a very special experience. Okay, good, good. Okay, so that was the challenge for this week. I'm gonna give you another one. I'm not giving up the fact that no one is answering my questions doesn't mean I'm gonna stop giving you challenges. Um, if anyone feels that they want to share in the middle at the end, let me know. Okay. So that was a little digression. I forgot about that. Okay. So quick review. Chapter one. What did we talk about in chapter one? We were introduced to the fact that we have two souls. Okay. Um, we have the godly soul and the animal soul. Remember why we refer to the soul as an animal soul, right? It's because it's animalistic and it's selfish. Um, okay. At the end of chapter one, we kind of talked a little bit about the animal soul. Uh, we talked about that one first because that's what we get first. And um, we just basically understood what was the motivation, the pure motivation of the animal soul is self-preservation, right? Selfish, it's all about staying alive. It's all about the physical, right? It's not godly, okay? Chapter two, we learned a little bit about the godly soul, right? What is its drive? What's the drive of the godly soul? It's the exact opposite of the animal soul. So if the animal soul is selfish, the godly soul is selfless, okay? So then we went into chapter three, we were delving in a little bit more into the godly soul. We learned the anatomy of the godly soul, right? Even though the godly soul's elusive and it doesn't have a form or shape, it still has a composition, right? And last week we learned about the composition of the animal, of the godly soul. What's the composition? First, we understood that our soul is a mirror of God, right? We're an, a mirror. So Hashem has 10 spheros, right? 10 spheros. We said that it's very, very hard to translate the word spheros. How did we translate it, right? It's Hashem who's, it's how something that's infinite, God relates to the finite. It, it is God's mode of relating to us. He does that through his 10 spheros. So God is fine, infinite, we're finite. The spheros is the mode that he connects and relates and um, to us, okay? Because our soul is a direct mirror of God, we also have these 10 things, right? But we're, they're not spheros. In sphero, they're only spheros for God. In us, what did we say they're called? They're called kochos, right? How did we translate kochos? We said that they were either powers or capacities, whatever works, whatever translate works for you. So we have the, 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 these 10 powers inside of us that mirror God. Okay. We split these two, these powers into two categories. 
right? We have emotional and intellectual. You guys with me so far? This is ringing a bell? Okay, good. Emotional, intellectual. How many emotional, how many intellectual? We have seven emotional faculties, which we didn't get into what they were specifically are. And we have three intellectual capacities, which we did get into. We did talk about the three intellectual capacities, right? Chachma, Bina, Das, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. We spoke about how the intellectual capacities are what? They are parents to the emotions, okay? So the intellectual capacities are parents, the emotions are children. What does that mean? Everything, everything we feel is originates in our thought, okay? So what did we mean by that? In a nutshell, what we think about is what you end up caring about, okay? So everything originates in your thought. So what you pay attention to, what you focus on, what you think about is going to be how you feel and what you end up caring about, okay? So um, what we've been, so that is our review. Any questions before we continue? Okay, you'll let me know. Now, we are, until now, we were speaking about the soul proper, right? So even though the soul is pretty elusive, right? We did understand that the soul has a composition, but it's still not tangible, okay? The soul is not a tangible thing. So what has to happen? The soul needs to come into a, a body, right? A soul that's without a body, not very useful, right? A soul up in heaven, yes, it gets a godly experience. It can revel in the godly rays, but it's not doing or accomplish any, anything. The only, the soul needs to be in a body to really do anything, right? We don't see souls, right? Um, they are spiritual beings, but an embodied soul is something that we can experience, right? We are all, all of us experience each other. We are all embodied souls, right? we can experience each other. If, if our soul was not in a body, there would be no experience because it's not tangible. The soul only becomes tangible once it's in a body, okay? But how does the soul express itself, right? It's a super intangible thing. How does it ex even, so now we have a soul that's in a body, how is the soul gonna express itself? It's still, it still needs a way to express its intellectual, emotional powers, right? So the soul is all perception and emotion, but without a mode of expression, it's pretty useless as well. So yes, we have, it's a couple of steps here, right? We have a soul, now we have an embodied soul, but it, how does an embodied soul going to interact with the world? The embodied soul needs something to interact with the world. So that's what chapter four is all about. What is the soul using to express itself? How does the soul express itself? And chapter four tells us that the soul expresses itself in clothing, okay? The soul has clothing. Kind of like how we express ourselves, right? Like, I don't know, uh, when I was in high school, um, 
we had a uniform. So it, very limited self-expression capacities, right? But I was always known for like my crazy socks. Cause like I got, you gotta express yourself somehow. So the crazier the socks, the better. Um, so our soul needs a way to express itself. What are these three clothing? What is the mode of expression of the soul? Thought, speech, and action. That is the way that the soul can express its emotional and its emotions and perceptions. Okay? So, um, a little heads up that I'm going to I'm going to foreshadow something that we're going to talk about later, but I think it's really important to just give you a little bit of a bigger view of where we're headed, okay? Remember in the beginning in chapter 1, we talked about perfection, right? What is perfection? And we brought up that um, perfection is relative to who we're talking about, right? A tzaddik can be perfect. He is perfect. His insides and his outsides are perfect. A bainani can have outward perfection, but his insides are still struggling. So now that we are kind of understanding the anatomy of the soul, this makes a lot more sense, right? Because a tzaddik everything, all his impulses, everything that comes through his mind, his body, everything is godly. So his outsides, which is his thought, speech, and action, his modes of expression, right? They're perfect as well as his actual impulses, right? Anything that comes through his body is perfect. The Bainani, his thought, speech, and action can be perfect, but his impulses is he can have desires he can have things inside of him that are not perfect so it's we're kind of beginning to understand a little bit more of what does it mean your insides and your outsides right and we were we are going to talk more about this in chapters like 10 through 15 which we talk about more about in depth what a tzaddik a bani, and a russia how their bodies work and in connection to impulse control okay so the tzaddik is perfect. He only has the capacity for godly ideas. He doesn't have the capacity for anything else. The Bainani, which is our like goal, right? That's what we're working towards. He has a capacity. It has a capacity to go either way, right? He can, he can be godly. He can be very mundane. Um, he doesn't have internal perfection. He's still conflicted, but he does have outward perfection. Anything that is expressing out of him is going to be perfect. Okay. So, um, I really like, I really like this phrase. So basically a Bainani can't be perfect, but he can do perfect. Okay. So that is a huge differentiation. When we talk about perfection in the modern day world, what does that actually mean? What are you talking about when you say perfection, right? Perfection is actually can be very detrimental to our psyche, right? And the Tanya is telling us, no, forget about the, the concept of being perfect. That's not really in our wheelhouse, but we can do perfect, right? And the Tanya is what is going to teach us the tools to get closer and closer on that ladder, okay? Now, um, I also want to 
give you a lot of different ways to think about these 10 capacities, okay? Um, the soul has 10 capacities and he does the three garments, okay? The soul equals, if you wanna know what the soul equals, he equals his 10 capacities. What does the soul do? He does the three gar he does the three garments. He has thought, speech, and action, right? So one is his actual makeup, and one is something that he does and that he expresses. Okay. So um, what we focus on on Tanya, it's interesting because we think the soul is like the most important thing of our of our being, but really the Tanya is going to focus mostly on the clothing because the Tanya is a practical book. We're, we're gonna be focusing mostly on thought, speech, and action. So it's important to know the makeup of the soul, right? But what are we gonna be focused mostly on is our clothing. So if you think clothing is like secondary or less holy than the soul, not the case. It's actually the, the soul is pretty useless without the clothing, right? And that's what we are focusing on the most. Okay, so let's let's describe the difference of the kochos and the levushim in a couple different ways because I think everyone relates to it differently. And I like to have a few different translations. So we have kochos, like if I had a whiteboard, I would write on one side kochos, one side levushim, okay? Kochos, soul powers, levushim, soul garments, okay? Same side, kochos, uh, soul powers, that's our insides. The levushim are our outsides, right? Again, kochos, who we are. Levushim, what you do. Okay, you're getting, you're getting the, 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 the chart here. And the last one, kochos is yourself and levushim is your self-expression. Okay, so do we have a clear picture of the difference between these two concepts? Okay, self, self-expression, who you are, what you do, insides, outsides, soul power, soul garments. Okay, so every single one of these definitions are true um, and they all apply. Sometimes we relate to one more than the other that helps us, you know, kind of internalize and visualize what we're talking about. Okay, so... Um, Okay, so here we go. This is where we're gonna get into, this is actually one of my favorite topics because it's so applicable to today and so applicable to our everyday life. So it's a difficult but very important concept that we're going to start to delve into and understand, okay? Um, and obviously throughout Tanya, we will elaborate more and more. One of these garments is different than the other. We have thought, speech, and action, right? Which one seems like it doesn't quite fit in? Okay, so um, obviously thought, right? Why? We're, we, need to, we need to give some spe special attention to thought because we're all comfortable with understanding that a, an action and speech is a behavior, right? Like that makes sense to us when you do something that's a behavior. Even when you say something, that's a behavior. Thought seems a little bit more elusive. So for example, we can control our behavior, right? A behavior has a beginning and it has an end. We do something, we start something, we, we stop something. We are choosing to do it. Even with speech, 
right? We are choosing to speak. Like when you tell someone, um, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Okay, but you did mean to open your mouth, right? Like you still chose to speak. Now, whether the it didn't land correctly or whatever, that's a different story, but it's speech is something that we choose to do. It has a beginning, it has an end. We can stop talking and we can start talking. It is a behavior. That's a definition of a behavior, okay? So let's actually define behavior for a minute because that's gonna be really important for us to understand and continue learning this chapter, okay? So a behavior is not who you are, it's what you do, okay? That's why there can be disparities in your behavior. That's why sometimes you, you can behave beautifully and sometimes you can behave terribly because it's not who you are. It's an, ex, it's an expression. It's, it's, not, it's, a, it's not you, it's an expression of you. So you can have opposing behaviors, right? You can't, like if it was your essence, then you can't have contradictions in your essence, right? Like that doesn't make sense, but because behaviors are not you, they're an expression of you. Sometimes you behave wonderfully and sometimes you don't. That's a definition of a behavior, right? Another definition is um, you choose to do it. It's not ongoing, okay? A behavior stops and starts. And then, um, um, the other last definition is um, and as a beginning and an end, I said that, right? It, so these are like, for example, like wherever, wherever you go, there you are, right? Like behaviors, these are the definitions of behaviors. They are not who you are. They're an expression of you. Um, and like we can, like we can, we can betray ourselves with our behavior. Like, right. When you, have you ever done something and be like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I did that. Like that is, have you ever said, that's not me. Have you ever done something and said, that's not me. Like, how does that work? Right? Because the behavior is not your essence. It's an, it's, it's a, it's an, it's a self-expression. So you can, you can betray yourself with your behavior. You can betray yourself with your speech. And it has a start and a finish and it has a beginning and an end. So action is easy to see as a behavior, right? If it, that's it, it, the exact definition of a behavior. Even speech, okay, even speech, you, you can now very much relate to it as a behavior because it fits all these categories. It stops and it starts, it has a beginning and an end, it's not ongoing, and it's, a, it's not who you are, it's an expression of you, okay? That fits speech too, okay. Now it gets tricky with thought, okay? Like how do we apply? We know that thought has to be a behavior and it has to be a mode of self-expression because it's one of the soul's garments, but it's a little bit harder to get there. But this is what we're gonna, this is, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna now understand how thoughts are actually a behavior, right? Okay, um, now thought itself, is like a mill, okay? Thought itself is ongoing. It's like a, a like a flour mill that just keeps on going, okay? You you cannot control that. You cannot your brain. If you have a brain in your head, you're always gonna have thoughts, okay? Now, um, 
a particular thought is not constantly ongoing, right? So thought itself, you can't stop that. But a particular thought has a stop and a start, okay? You choose to think about it and it's not who you are. This is very, very important. Sometimes we think we're our thoughts. Our thought is outside of ourselves. It is not who we are. Our thoughts are another form of self-expression. It is not our essence, okay? So we can have thoughts even that portray ourselves. We can have thoughts that contradict who we think we are, right? So every single person has a mill, right? Think of your mill as your brain, right? Um, think of, no, think of your mill as your capacity for intellect, okay? The fact that you have a mill makes you have capacity for intellect. The mill that keeps on running, that's your software, that's your thoughts. The mill that keeps on turning, just imagine like this mill that keeps on turning, that's your thoughts, okay? What you put in the mill is your particular thought that you're choosing to think about. So if you put wheat in the mill, you're gonna get wheat flour. If you put spelt flour in the mill, you're gonna get spelt flour. If you put spelt in the mill, you're gonna get spelt flour, right? So you choose what to think about. And don't be surprised that when you think about something, that's the emotions that are created. Okay, so let's review this one more time. We have a mill. What's the mill? A mill is our capacity for thoughts. What's the mill running? constantly running, those are thoughts. There's always gonna be thoughts in our head. What is the particular grain you choose to put in your mill? Those are the thoughts that you choose to think about, okay? And don't mistake the fact that yes, it's a choice, okay? We choose what to think about, okay? So I wanna do an exercise with you for a second. Um, I want you just to take 30 seconds and think about the times tables, okay? Just whatever, doesn't matter, two times two, right? Take 30 seconds and think about it. Okay, I don't know if that was 30 seconds, but it's enough time. Um, did you do it? You did it, you thought about, you did it, right? Okay, now, everyone was comfortable with me asking if you did it, right? What's doing something, that's an action. When I said, did you do it? You all said yes, right? Because you all chose to think about the times table, which means what? What is, what is an action, is a behavior. You, it had a stop, it had a start, you chose to do it do it right so this is like an example of proof that um a thought is actually a behavior a thought is a self a mode of self-expression okay um now we cannot turn off our thinking right don't, don't so this is sometimes you ever feel like, oh my gosh, I, I just wish that my brain can stop. Like who lays in, who lies in bed at night and just like 
right? The mill just doesn't stop, right? Like, I don't know. I'm sure everybody's experienced that, right? We can't stop the fact that we think, okay? But we can choose what we think about and how long to think about something. Like how much duration, how much space are you giving this thought? Okay, one second, there's a comment. Okay, sounds similar to the idea you were speaking about last time about the intellect. So how does the intellect that's part of Kohos differ from the thoughts that are part of the garments and behavior? That's a very, very good question. Um, the question is, what's the difference between the action part of thought and the intellectual powers part of thought, okay? The, the intellectual powers are, I, I, and I'm, I'm going to research this question because I don't have like the answer that I know for sure is correct, but my thought is that these are still potentials. The only way that you apply Chachma Bina Das is if you use the garments. You have to use the garment of thought to tap into the potential of Chachma Bina and Das. But I will try to get, if, if, uh, elaborate on that answer more, but I, I hope that helps for now, okay? Okay, so basically what we're saying is we do have free choice on what we think about, okay? Now I wanna tell you um, a quick story, a, a, like a, a Hasidic tale story, okay? Which I thought was really powerful. There was a story about his, I think his name was Reb Zev, and he went to the Magid with a problem. His problem was that he couldn't, he was saying that he couldn't control his thoughts. He, he's working really hard and he has all these, you know, random thoughts that he doesn't want to think about. And it's messing with his, messing with his head, messing with his psyche. And he just, he wants to know, like, how do you control your thoughts? Like it was just, he doesn't, it was too overwhelming. So the Magid sent him to a uh, town and I forget who the rabbi was that he went to, but he went to visit this great person that is famous. We all would know his name, but I forgot. And he wants to spend Shabbos with him. So he goes to this famous, so he goes to this famous rabbi's town and he's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door and he's knocking and nobody's answering and it's Arab Shabbos and he needs to get in and he's knocking on the door and he's knocking on the door and he's knocking on the door. Nobody's answering. Finally, he's like, I, I gotta like have somewhere to go for Shabbos. So he goes to like the little shtibel and he makes himself a little corner and he sleeps in the shul for Shabbos. And he, um, that, so, and, and in shul, like towards the end of Shabbos, this person who he was supposed to be at his house comes over to him and says, welcome. So happy you're here. Do you want to come over to my house? And he's like, what the heck? Like I was knocking on your door all Friday. Like now you're like noticing me and like welcoming me into your home. So he says, okay, yeah, sure. Like there's something I want to talk to you about. And so they go and they have Malava Malka and they have a wonderful meal and they're having a big talk. And finally he's like, I came, the Magid sent me to you because I wanted to know how to control my thoughts. Like I need help. Like I, I don't, like it's elusive to me. And this rabbi says, he says, I thought I taught you that already. Just because you knocked on the door doesn't mean I have to answer it, right? So what is this telling us? This rabbi was like ignoring this person's knock 
as a lesson. Just because you have a thought that's banging on your door, right? And it's saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. You don't have to open it. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't take a huge amount of self-control not to open the door. But what I am saying is that it is a choice. Okay? It is a choice. Now, sometimes choices are really hard. Sometimes you have to have a lot of self-control. Sometimes you have to have a lot of impulse control, which is what we're going to learn in a few chapters of how to do that. But inherently, it's a choice. You get to decide if you're opening that not if you're opening the door to that knock, you can let it knock. Eventually it's going to go away if you don't open the door. Okay. So um, there's a difference. Basically what we're saying is that there's a difference between impulse for thought and actual thinking the thought, right? So the impulse for thought is the knock on the door right? That's your impulse. Like knock, knock, knock. I want to think about this. I want to think about this. Let's think, let's think about what a terrible mom you are. Knock, knock, knock. You're a failure. Knock, knock, knock. Now, if you open the door, that is your choice. Okay. That is you, like that's the equivalent of opening the door and inviting it in for a cup of tea, right? Like not every thought is worthy to take up space in your brain and have a cup of tea with. Some knocks on the door you ignore. Now, don't tell me you've never ignored a knock on the door and pretended you weren't home. We've all done that, right? Like, that's what your thoughts are. We sometimes have to ignore it. Um, <laughs> actually, when I was preparing, I'm like, oh my gosh, like reality check. You know when like someone says like, don't even think about it. And like, obviously that's what you're gonna think about, right? You know how many times I tell my kids, don't even think about doing that right? Like, what's the logic behind that? There literally is like, the only thing that you're accomplishing is having that child think about more about doing it, right? So what, that's just another, like, just a, a funny little, like, insert, like, don't even think about it, like, usually invites the thought, right? But that's the impulse for the thought. That's the knock on the door, right? You don't have to act on it. You don't have to open the door for every thought that decides it's worthy. It's not every thought is worthy of you opening the door for it, okay? So there's a difference, like I'm telling you a bunch of different like lingos and like ways of expressing this thought, right? So there's a difference between thinking of and thinking about, okay? We think of, we can't control what we think of right? That's the knock on the door. There's going to be a lot of things we think of. We do get to control what we think about, okay? So thinking of, knock on the door. Thinking about, open the door, right? Okay. So unless you're a tzaddik, which means you, anything you think of is godly, any impulse thought is godly. So the tzaddik can open the door to any thought because anything he thinks of is already godly, correct? Um, we, we don't have that experience, right? Um, the, we have to be selective on what we think about because our impulses 
are not God necessarily always godly. We can have God, we can have knocks on the door that are godly. What, what do you do when the knock on the door is a godly thought? You open the door, right? So it's not like we never have those opportunities or we never have those thoughts. We just don't always have them, right? So we need to be, have discretion and we have to decide what we're going to open the door to. Okay. So, um, So the question I want to leave you with is, no, we're not done, but the question I want to leave you with this particular subject is, will you choose to think about everything you think of? Okay. Are you going to choose to open the door for every knock? That is your choice. Now, remember, not saying this choice is easy. Okay. I think this is the choice that is, we fail at the most and not, I hate to use the word fail, but is the struggle the most because action is such a more of a removed self-expression that we think more before we act, right? We know it like sometimes thoughts only affect ourselves. Actions affect other people. So it's easier for us to control our actions, right? It's easier. And then a step back, like it's harder to control your speech but it's easier than controlling your thoughts. When we go into such an internal part of ourselves and we understand and we delve into the fact that our thoughts are even a self-expression, we are not our thoughts, our thoughts are also a self-expression, so much harder to control, right? So I am with you that this is a lifelong journey, but what I feel is so powerful is that if we didn't understand the anatomy of the soul and our garments of the soul, we sometimes wouldn't even think that we have control over them. And when you think you don't have control over something, then why even bother working on it? But now that we know that so much of what we think about is our choice to think about it, then we actually can be more, and just the awareness of that, like I always say at the end of the class, I'm like, don't even do anything different. Just be aware. Don't even do anything different. Once you start to be aware about all the knocks, like last week we spoke about just being aware of, you know, thinking about God. If you start to be aware of the knocks on your door, not even changing anything about them, something automatically is going to shift because you're more aware that I don't have to be a slave to my thoughts. And so many times we're a slave to our thoughts because we don't think there's another way. And we remember what we choose to think about is how we're going to feel. Okay. That's a direct birth, right? Your, your feelings are your children of your thoughts. Okay. So now we know, we have, we know a little bit of the thoughts that we want to keep out, right? We know what we don't want to do. Let's focus a little bit on the choices that we do want to make. Okay. Right. Because we want to, we want to talk about that too. Okay. So one um, thing about the soul's garments is that it, it definitely can be said that clothing make the man. Okay. So what I touched upon before, the clothing is not secondary to the soul. Okay. I want, I want you to really, 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 really think about that. Okay. Because it's just not the case right? The clothing is what the, uh, the, the clothing is what makes the soul um, able to even function. It has the ability to take the soul to the next level, 
okay? Even if the soul is embodied and you have an embodied soul without modes of expression, it's going to be pretty stuck, okay? It's not going to be able to get very far without these garments, okay? Now, one of the examples that the Tanya gives, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, is that it gives like a parable, right? Like if you were invited to visit the king, right? And it's a huge deal, right? And you, you're welcomed into the king chambers and the king actually puts out his arms to give you a hug, right? And you give the king a hug. So then you go home and you tell all your friends and family, like, I got to hug the king. Do you say that you got to hug the robes of the king or did you get to hug the king? The fact that the king is wearing clothing doesn't take away that when you're hugging the king, you're hugging the king. Okay. So that's, that's the example. That's what I want to bring home to you about the garments. It's not a separation between you and God. It is the mode of expression. It is what allows you to get close to the king. The king's not going to hug you naked. Okay. The king isn't going to come out of the shower and give you a hug. The only way you're allowed to hug the king is because he's wearing clothing. Right. So same with this, like with God, you can't, we can't hug God with God being completely naked and, and revealed. Right. We, 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 we wouldn't be able to handle that. The only way, the only reason why we could hug the King, why we could become one or connected to God is because of the clothing. So when you do a mitzvah, how do we hug the King with our actions, right? With our thoughts, speech, and action. When you hug the King, When you do a mitzvah, you're hugging the king. You're not hugging the king's robes, right? No one says, oh, I hugged my my mother's sweater. You hugged your mother, right? Like, so that's how I want you to view these garments. They are not a separation. They are what's allowing you the ability and the experience, okay? So now um, the embodied soul that what I, which I just said, which I'm going to just repeat in a different way, the embodied soul that strives for oneness with Hashem can only achieve that through the garments, which is through behavior. What's, what's the behavior that we can achieve that through Torah and mitzvahs. Torah and mitzvahs are the behaviors that allow us to achieve oneness with God. You cannot achieve oneness with God without Torah and mitzvahs. Okay. Nothing happens without behaviors. With me so far, any questions? You're always welcome. By the way, you totally could unmute yourself if you want to, if you don't like the chat box. Okay. I just want to make sure that I'm not like, you're like, what is she even talking about? None of this makes sense. Cause that's super possible. Um, okay. So, um, so mitzvahs are the only way to achieve unity with Hashem. Guys, like this is revolutionary. The whole, like, there's no other way. Now later in chapter, like I'm actually teaching chapter three. I actually taught chapter 35 to my community, uh, this past Sunday, I started teaching Tanya a year ago to my community. Chapter 35 is like one step like, it's so cool that I did it in the same week because it's literally taking chapter four to the next level. So when we get to chapter 35, if you all still want to hang out with me, um, we're going to get to the next level understanding how intense that really is. But the only way 
to connect to God is through action. Okay. What's our action? Thought, speech, and thought, speech, and action, right? Um, how do we do that? What action are we talking about here? Torah and mitzvahs. That is the only way that we get to connect to God. Okay. When we do that, when we do Torah and mitzvahs, we are making ourselves a conduit to Hashem's will. You heard the concept of like the forefathers and the great tzaddikim being a chariot to God. What's a chariot? A chariot is completely subservient. The chariot can't go anywhere on its own. It needs the driver, right? A chariot doesn't move on its own. It has no will or desire of its own. So when we do a mitzvah, we are becoming the chariot, the conduit for Hashem's will, because that's what our whole body is involved with. Okay? So um, guess what? Guess what? You can't do that without a body. Okay? You can't. You can't do it without a body. So what happens when someone says, but a soul up in heaven sits next to God. He's so much more connected and one to God. What do, I, what do we call that? We call that a fireworks show. Okay? Like a soul sitting and getting a godly fireworks show. He's not becoming, he's not, it's, a, it's an experience. He's not becoming a chariot to God's will, right? He's, he's getting a show. In order to actually physically become one with God and do his will and connect to him in that way, you, ha you have to be an embodied soul. A soul in heaven is, it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a luxury, right? He's sitting on his lounge chair and he's getting a godly fireworks show. It's wonderful, but it's not accomplishing that, that total immersion and that total subservience to God. Okay. So let me, let me make a distinction. Okay. So what, what happens to a soul up in heaven? We're observing God. A soul in heaven observes God. It's an observation. It's a show, correct? Down here, we don't even observe godliness. Half the time, we don't even realize God's here, right? We're not observing godliness, but we can become one with it. Up there, you can't become one with it, but you can observe it. Down here, we can become one with godliness. Half the time we're become one, becoming one with godliness, our body and our physical part of ourselves doesn't, is not even aware of the godliness. We're not observing it at all, okay? So that's the difference between being an embodied soul and a soul that's just a soul, okay? Up there, our soul's not surrendering to God. It's just an it's just observing, it's, it's appreciating God. It's enjoying God, but it's not surrendering to God. Down here, only down here is where we can surrender to godliness, okay? Um, okay, we're getting, ooh, we're getting close to the end. Um, I wanna have time for meditation. I want to like just basically bring this last point home, have some time for questions and do our meditation. It might be a little bit of a shorter meditation. Okay. Um, the soul starts and ends with being one with God. Okay. What's the difference between the oneness of God that the soul starts with and the oneness of God that the soul ends with? The oneness of God that the soul ends with is so much more powerful because it's a partnership because we are involved in the action of becoming one with God. So this is what happens. If you wanted to take like, if you wanted to have a dialogue 
if you want to know the dialogue between the soul and Hashem, this is what it would be. Hashem says to the soul, you want to be close to me? And the soul says, of course I want to be close to you. Like, how could I get even, I'm so close already. How do I get closer? And I said, how do I get closer than I already am? And Hashem says, well, in order for you to get closer, we have to get really, really, really far apart. And I have to send you down to earth. Okay. There's no further place that a soul can go than earth. But the soul says, I don't want to do that because like, if I go down to the world, then I can get, get, I can get distracted. Okay. And then I don't know, maybe I'll get close to you. Maybe I won't. Like there's going to be so many distractions. Um, And Hashem says, well, if you really want to be close to me, I have to send you down there because then you're going to choose to be with me here. You're forced to be with me here that you have no choice, but down there, if you choose to be close to me, that's a closeness that you can't get up here because you chose it. You were part of it. You were invested in it. And that is the ultimate oneness. So it's a little bit of a paradox because what we're saying is that we have to get really, really far to get really, really close. And that is the journey of the soul. And that, and the only, the only way the soul can get really, really close is through the soul's expression, which is thought, speech, and action, okay? So one only way the soul can choose oneness is to surrender, okay? How do you, okay, this is like a paragraph that I want you to really like pay attention to. How do you surrender? That comes through free will, okay? You only can surrender if you have a choice to, okay? You can't beat someone into submission. I mean, you could, but it's not gonna be valuable right? It's only valuable when it comes from your free will, okay? Um, Which comes through choices that we can make only down in this world. You cannot make those choices up in heaven, okay? So in order to surrender to God, we have to be in a situation where we choose to be one with God. How do we choose? How do we show God that we're invested? How do we show him that we're choosing Thought, speech, and action, mitzvahs, Torah, right? Doing his will. Okay, any questions before we go on to meditation? Gosh, that flew by. At least for me. (laughs) Um, Okay, we're good for our meditation. If any questions after meditation, let me know. Okay, get comfortable. Take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. Okay, I want you to let go of like any thoughts. Like, I mean, you can have any thoughts. Don't try to control your thoughts, okay? Just let them be, focus on your breath. And you'll find when you focus on your breath, your thoughts are not important right now, okay? I want you to start to like, through your breath, if there's any tension in your body, like let that come out through your breath, okay? In through your nose, out through your mouth. It's sometimes helpful to have like an even count of your inhale and exhale. So you can inhale for two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four.
just try to visualize like all your tension, like coming out your extremities, relaxing into your space. Your, I want you to bring atten- your attention to what I'm going to share with you now, okay? Your thoughts are not you. They are clothing or garments of your soul, part of your external life, just like speech and action. You cannot control what you think of, but you can control what you think about. You don't have to answer every knock on the door, Okay? You can't control the knocks on the door, but you can control if you open it and invite it for tea. While your soul is merely capable of loving God from a distance, your garments actually become one with God when you do a mitzvah or study Torah. Okay, so think about how powerful that is. When you do a mitzvah, when you study Torah, That is how you become one with God. Even though the mitzvah is a this worldly ritual, it's really like hugging the king while he's dressed in a robe, right? The robe doesn't get in the way of the hug. Just think about that for a minute. We really have the ability to hug God through our mitzvahs, through our Torah study, through our thoughts, through our speech, through our action. Bring your attention back to your breath, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Don't try to control it, just follow the natural rhythm of your breath. When you're ready, start to like notice sounds or smells around you. Notice the physical, your physical body sitting in the chair, your feet on the ground. Come back to some of those physical sensations. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Okay. How are we doing? Any questions? Any thoughts, comments, disagreements? No, you guys, that's it? Nothing? Get letting me off easy? No challenges? Okay. Actually, thank you. I don't mind. <laughs> um, okay. So um, we are done. I will see you back here next week for chapter. Oh, 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 guys, not letting you off without a challenge. Okay. Um, Actually, this is going to be more of like an observation challenge. Okay. The observation I want you to make is when you become aware 
of the knocks on your door, right? Like, does that change anything for you? Like, does it change something for you when you know that you don't have to answer every single knock? So someone like you're like, there's an incessant knock on the door about a particular thought that you know is not going to be a productive thought is going to bring you down, right? Do you answer that door or not? Can you, can you not answer that door or just observing like how many, now that you're aware that thoughts are knocks, like, does that change anything? Does it make you more able to control who you open the door for, what you open the door for? Okay. So that's my challenge for. Can I chime in here for a second? Yes. On mute. I mean, not on my camera because I'm not feeling well. The perks of being sick is that we get to join in your- Hi, Leia. (laughs) Hi. Um, But somebody posted on your stories today about ask when you were sharing your journey of health about children and anxiety. I don't even really know what their question was, but this tool that you were sharing is such an amazing tool for children with anxiety because it's so easy to help them, not easy to do, but easy to coach them through it of like, you're choosing what to- And I always tell, I have a daughter who struggles with anxiety and I always share her like, don't think about that. Like, let's think of, and she has a whole journal of like thoughts that she can replace her worries with. Um, It's really, really powerful. There's even like, um, thank you for sharing Leah. That's really powerful because there's even like this stuffed animal called this like worry something and it has a zipper and you like put all the, it's like a monster and the monster eats like all the negative thoughts. It's really actually pretty cool. Um, I have a daughter that struggles with anxiety as well. Unfortunately, right now we, we have this discussion all the time and her like go-to right now is what's not my fault. I'm like, well, you know, you're, 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 you're having, you're having an anxiety about something. You're having a fear about something like let's redirect our mind, right? Especially because most of the times it's not a reality, right? So like, how do we redirect our mind? So it's a super powerful tool that the knock on the door is something like Leah said, is like really even kids can understand harder to implement, but at least it kind of breaks down the, 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 I want to say the chemistry of it, but like the inner workings of how our brain works, right? It's not, just, just because we're always thinking doesn't mean we don't have control about what we think about. So that is so, so true and such a powerful tool um, for basically any age, honestly. Um, Okay, so next week, guys, just observe. And I only want to hear your observations. I don't need to hear success stories or whatever. Just tell me what you observed and don't be shy to pipe up. This is like, guys, we're family over here. Like we know each other already. Like we do not want has to be shy or embarrassed, all right? Have an awesome week. See you soon. I'm going to stop recording. Thank you.